Welcome to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspectives series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema, culture, and society. So let's begin. This is Future Perspectives. Welcome to another episode of Future Perspectives. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to my next guest, an original artist, animator and filmmaker who has caught the attention of kids and adults with her work. Welcome, Gitanjali Rao. Thank you very much for having me here. You're an artist, you studied art, but you wanted to make films. So animation was a way of combining these two loves. Yes, absolutely. I, not that I knew about it when I got into it. I was trying and um, it, it was actually circumstances that I could not afford to study further. I had to start working and uh, in a way it turned out very good, very beneficial for me to go straight into the industry, which was very small at that time. This is 1994, where because there were not many animation schools in uh, India, the animation studios used to train the artists to do the anim- the kind of animation they need. And this was classical Walt Disney kind of animation. So I actually start, uh, learned animation, the basics of animation in the studio that I was working in with the stipend and we had to contribute to uh, the, the production. The, the, they basically produced advertisement films. Wow. So in a way you're working in the creme de la creme of the, mm. the uh, advertising industry and learning animation. And uh, yes, it, so it, it brought the two things together. It wasn't easy. I was, uh, I was not very good at drawing and painting when I finished art school. And I realized that when I got into animation, that this is not enough. You just need to know so much more. And I learned that. And now that is what is the basis of the work that I do. Yeah. I can draw and paint everything that I imagine. I mean, what a talent. You, you make paintings move to tell your story that's got to be a real labor of love is it true some of the short projects the short films took like three years because of this yes i was the first one that i made a uh, printed rainbow i made one before that uh that was just an experiment because a new software had come into the studio this this new thing of having a stylus uh, it's it's that pen the pressure sensitive pen on a okay, tablet yeah. mm. way back in um 1998, uh, it was introduced into the the industry. So what I learned was actually drawing on paper, frame by frame, coloring it on cell sheets and using an Oxbury camera, which is a static camera, and shift changing the, the drawings below and shooting them frame by frame. So having come from a mm. traditional uh, understanding of animation, there was no other way of doing it. So because I love to paint, I didn't draw, I would paint frame by frame. And the effect of that, which was uh, seeing your paintings move, was a done thing back in, I, I mean, I started working in 1994. Yeah. And uh, this was 98 when the computers really came in. And only after that, this question of why would you want to draw every frame if you can actually 
have the computer helping you to make the frames mm. started so for me it was not like i made i made a decision this was the way of doing things and i continued doing it the same way because it is far more expressive that was a decision i chose to stick to uh 2d paintings and not get onto the 3d computer animation Mm, you mentioned about Printed Rainbow. That premiered and won three awards at Cannes Critics Week in 2006, the Kodak Short Film Award, the Small Golden Rail and the Young Critics Award. The film has also won the Golden Conch for Best Animation in the 2006 Mumbai International Film Festival. And then it went on to tally, it, was it 25 awards? Ah, it's all just coming back to me. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, 25 or 28, something like that. I mean, and then also on top of that, making it to the Oscar shortlist in 2008. That is an incredible achievement. It was because when I made the film, all I wanted to do was to get into this Mumbai International Film Festival, which had rejected my film two years back. And my only aim in life was to make a film that I'm not rejected in this Mumbai International Film Festival again. And it was purely a matter of luck. My sound designer was showing the film to a friend of his in France. And somebody from Cannes Selection Committee saw it and asked me mm -hmm. to send. I would never have sent my film to Cannes. At the most, Annecy, because it's an animation film. So I said, can? Oh, what is can? Does it take short films? And there was not much internet and Google and stuff like that. So you ask around and find out. And yeah. Okay, there's no entry fees. Okay, no mind, no <laughs> point. Because I, I was sure I wouldn't get it. But it did. And then the series of awards, it was, it was never expected. Even now I feel it's like it's happened to someone else. But that film, yeah. and I, when I saw it yesterday, it's, I almost felt it's made by someone else. Because it was a film that I made, but the way people took it and the way it affected people yeah. was not in my mind when I made the film at all. That was something that followed. And that I feel is very, uh, it's like you can't be a virgin again with your first film kind of a thing. That was it for me. I had no idea what it was. And it was great. It could be disastrous also, but it just went uh, everywhere. And uh, I'm amazed people like it even now. Yeah, And in the same way that it was appreciated then, it changed my life. I was taken seriously in India as an animator simply because of this. That's how it works for us. Really? I love chai tea. It's actually my favourite drink. If anybody says, what's your favourite drink? It's chai tea. So your film Chai and this sequence of montages that shows four different people making tea in a tea shop. How was the experience bringing together both an animation and a live action all in the one? This was one, the only short film of mine, which I was commissioned to make. And uh, it was a very sudden thing. Uh, all the animation films that I've made, uh, they've taken three years and stuff like that because I never get the finance to make the film and I sit and make it myself. But this one came with a commissioned money and I had to make the film in something like uh, two weeks. So I knew it could not be animation. It could just be bits of animation. So I wrote a script uh, and we had a brief which was very broad that... Something about India. That's it. Which is broad as it <laughs> Very, very yeah, broad. Yeah, that's pretty broad. <laughs> very. So I decided to make a film in live action, but not make it look like a fiction. It's a completely fictionalized film. Mm -hmm. Make it look like a documentary within which the animation comes in. So I had these three clips of animation, which I had done for a certain film and it didn't take off. That's one advantage when you do your own work. You have a lot of animation which you can use cleverly in another film. Right. So Chai was just a cleverly put together 
film about what I had. Well, let's talk about Bombay Rose. So this is six years it took you to finance. Is that true? Uh, yes. And you wrote it, directed it, edited it and designed it. You had a team of 60 artists. When did you first think of the idea of this is what you wanted to make and then to the end product? Back in 2013, I was sure that this is the story that I want to make into a feature. Before that, I had a shorter version of it. And that's what went into becoming True Love Story, which I completed in 2014. Right. And then started traveling with it, looking for co-production. So from 2013 to 2017, until we signed the co-production deal, was the period that I was looking for uh, finance. And then it took one year for the production deal to happen. But I was sure uh, it would happen. So I started the pre-production work, which is the animatics. In, in animation, you have stills of the entire film laid out on a timeline of say 80 or 90 minutes that your film is going to be with scratch sound with dummy music so that you can show because it's animation it's not like if you, you read the script and you know what's happening yeah. it's it's very very visual yeah. especially my films so this is something as while the co-production deal was being uh, signed i didn't know it would take one year i thought okay a few months so let me use this time before the pressure comes in mm. to do the most creative part of the film. Mm. So I made the entire animatics of the film alone and I'm used to it because I make my entire animation films by myself. Except that this does not have the movement. It just has stills, maybe yeah. two or three stills per shot. But the entire mood of the, uh, of the film, the feeling, the dialogues, everything so that you can, it's a blueprint. Having made this and then we, uh, uh, it, it also helped them sign the deal because they knew this is the film that they are going to get. Then I got the finances, then I could afford a team, then I could go into a studio. Yeah. And then it didn't really matter which studio I go in because there is a lot of talent for 2D animation in India. I knew the studio that I wanted to work in. We had a low budget, but I also knew the artists that I want because I had worked with them that I wanted on the project. We didn't need expensive, great artists. A very small team. 60 is very small. It's usually 2,000 <laughs> to make a feature really? film. Really? Yeah, the, the Disney studios and uh, most studios use that kind of uh, uh, numbers. Right. The independent films are much smaller, but it's mm. still two to 300. Wow. So I could afford maximum 80. We started with 20 and then 80. And I had this fear that, you know, this is my very personal style. How is it going to be um, executed by a bunch of people? Which is where the animatics and the blueprint comes in uh, yeah. help because I even I forget what I want but if I've drawn it at some point with just about everything that needs to go into it yeah. it can be followed by a bunch of people I had to train them into my style it took about three or four months wow. and <laughs> but they, 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 they were uh, they were very good artists from art schools yeah. you can teach anybody animation art and painting is a, is a difficult part so they came with that we taught some of the junior people were not even animators but it they could paint every frame to make them look like each other. So we did a combination, a lot of tests, experiments, yeah. and it worked out. And you were, ha you were happy with the with your team and I the was, final product? Uh, in the beginning, I was like, what have I got into? They're never going to be able to do what I want to do. Because it was the beginning and it was my style. Yeah. And it went on for two years. The last six months, they were so good that I would approve a scene and they would say, no, it needs to get better because this <laughs> needs to come in, that needs to come in. I said, this is beautiful because they realized they can do much more. They were not struggling with the style anymore. Mm -hmm. They did stuff which 
I would never have dreamt of doing myself because I have limitations as an artist. But each one comes with their talent. Mm. They cast themselves. They bring in the best. They fell in love with the work. So I'd imagine you will want to work with some of these people again, if not all of them. <laughs> I would. I definitely would because it's like the, uh, I, I don't have to spend that first three or four months of training. Yeah. They the, have it with mm. them. And uh, yeah, I would definitely want to work with them. How do you write for animation? You know, do you just put down the general st storyline scene by scene or do you kind of do rough sketching? I have to be honest, I'm very bad at writing an animation film, yet I have to do it myself because very few people can write for animation films. So if you read my screenplay, it is very, very dry. It's almost like what is going to happen and uh, more like an explanation to the entire team of right. how, it, how it's going to happen. I'm better at a screenplay than a script. Because I just don't know how to write. I can draw. It's like every time it's like, please let me just tell you with a storyboard, you know, what this film is going to be like. But no, when you need to look out for funds and stuff like that, you write a script. And none of my team members read the script. Because as animators, we hate writing. You also hate reading. <laughs> it, is, it is the truth. And uh, we don't need to. You just show them the animatics and that's it. The feeling comes really in the, the drawings. Wow. The film had its world premiere at the International Critics Week at the 2009 Venice Film Festival. It was screened in the Contemporary World Cinema section at the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival. It's picked up seven awards, including the Silver Hugo at the 53rd Chicago International Film Festival and the Silver Gateway at the, is it Mami Mumbai, Mumbai. Film Festival? Yeah. So again, another smash, really, you know? Actually, half a smash because half of the pandemic. Smash? Because uh, of the pandemic, I would like to believe one third or one fourth of a smash. But I don't regret it. At least my film uh, got a release. Uh, I mean, uh, went into the festivals before the pandemic because I know it got so terrible after that. Yeah. So it could have been better, but that's that's fine. I yeah. Mean, uh, is this worse things have happened? Is the silver lining then that it was released on Netflix in March of two thousand and twenty-one? Absolutely, because we could not think of a theatrical release in that time. And uh, Netflix, if it has to go to OTT, then what better than Netflix? Mm. I've stolen this question from an interview that you did on the Locarno Film Festival website. How do you feel about the coexistence of movie theatres and streaming platforms? I thought it was such a good question. I was like, we need to put this in the podcast. <laughs> uh, I am still thinking how the, the two works because it has its ups and downs. Like. Uh, I could answer this uh, far more seriously, say, in 2021, when my film went on to Netflix and saying there's nothing better than this. Mm. However, uh, there are things, as a filmmaker, you uh, want to know how many people have seen your film. You want to get reactions about your film, which you don't if it goes into OTT in a pandemic year. Because suppose your film friends watch it, you never meet them at a party and ask them, did you see it? You haven't seen it. What was it like? All that doesn't happen. Fair enough, you, I had the Venice Festival, you know, so I, I got a lot of reviews and criti uh, critiques at that point, so I didn't lose out too much. The good part is, in India, if you want to release uh, an animation film like Bombay Rose, in a setup with Bollywood, it's very, very difficult, very, very expensive, and uh, eventually you have these, you know, very few box office tickets that you have sold, 
and you just know the numbers and you say yeah i knew it was going to be that but it's a heartbreak that heartbreak didn't happen <laughs> because of ott so mm-hmm. in a lot of it's like you know you can go on about the good part of uh, going straight on to streaming and not having to do uh, theatrical release yeah. apart from me i feel the two things like if i do not take this personally what was interesting before the pandemic a lot of experimental independent smaller films were getting onto streaming platforms directly without going into uh, mm-hmm. uh releases because they can't afford it especially in india what happened after the pandemic is all the big films which could not go into the theaters came into streaming straight yeah so people like us or the ind- independent filmmakers lost that space because suddenly amazon and netflix is getting these big films with big stars uh-huh. and that and you know the subscription increased so much mm. so in a way you feel this new streaming platform where we all we are always looking for something new because that's where they the the smaller films get that to place. go in yeah if that system becomes successful very fast then you know you've lost that also goodness well, let's bring it to tomorrow my love it had its world premiere at the 74th locarno film festival and um that was in 2021 you weren't here because of the pandemic you really know how to tug on people's heartstrings with your work that that in fact uh, after that film uh, because jona told me in 4 minutes you brought me to tears mm-hmm. i said okay that's not a bad reputation to have the fastest tear jerker queen with animation kind of a thing yeah um no that happened because of the pandemic i had a lot of free time and uh, i love uh, making films in my free time and this was after uh, having made a feature so a shot sem- seemed like a breath of fresh air mm. so i made it and uh, it, it it's just that everybody was so emotional at that time that to make a film i mean i i, I didn't realize it but for me now the whole thing has become like you either touch a chord in as without using words yeah. because in that there's no dialogue but there's music and the yeah. words in the music is what makes you emotional uh i love creating emotions which are very sophisticated in a way not not yeah. slapstick in terms of funny not melodramatic to make you cry but just a thought uh leaving you with a thought mm-hmm. which makes you emotional and i think um I was just making it like you know with printed rainbow with the same characters actually I brought them back to life with the same style and I gave them another story completely like live action you like two actors so what if they have died in your earlier film <laughs> you get them back and you like a third cat who's also died but then cats have nine lives so you, you bring go. the cat back yeah. and make the film and uh It, yeah i i think it uh, it touched a chord yeah and i'm going to share the synopsis for our listeners unable to hold hands during the pandemic only memories music and a cat bring them together this is about an old man who must find his way to make his loved one's time in hospital less dreary and uh, that was happening all around us uh, i mean exactly everybody had uh, there was a democracy in covid right the emotions from one part of the world to another was all about losing your loved ones mm. and not being able to be there. Mm. And bringing it to 2022, you have been awarded the Locarno Kids Award La Mobilare, which is presented to personalities capable of conveying the love of cinema to younger viewers. So what's it like to be regarded as such an inspiration for for younger viewers? I think I mean your goal was always to touch the hearts of 
young, but also the other side of the the coin, old too, or older. <laughs> yeah, like I say, from eight to eighty, kind of a yeah. thing. Uh, it's it's always been like this, and I love working in layers, and. I love the fact that I've got this award because in 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 a place like Europe where young audiences does not mean dumbed down children's cartoon films because where where I come from in India cartoon films for children entertainment with stars and dumbed down and we don't make them in India <laughs> we just dub them from various countries and give it to our kids right and my films have always been uh, appreciated more in Europe than in India but I've, what I've seen over here and right from the beginning of uh, traveling with my films this uh, the study of cinema in uh, europe starts from your childhood mm-hmm. from uh, really early ages in school and then it goes on to who cho- whoever chooses to take the film line or not and being an indian this does not exist for us at all if you want to study mm-hmm. cinema it can happen post grad uh, after you graduate why do you think that is It's it's just considered a profession. It's not considered a study, a discipline, a form of art. It's considered okay. You've done art, then you can get into cinematography. It's more. It's treated more like a profession because if you understand the way Bollywood or most of our film industries start, nobody studies, and I mean almost nobody studies uh, animation. They learn, they start assisting, or they have parents who have financed a film, made a film, and then you start learning it. So it's it's always been like. Well, learn on the job kind of a wow. industry. Do you think it'll change in the future? Do you think it has changed? It has uh, changed. It has changed in the last few years. We we used to have just one film school uh, in India for about thirty years, and then uh, in the last ten fifteen years, it has increased. There are so many more, mm. and the changes happened with uh, India also going out and uh, doing co productions, which is also a fifteen year old phenomenon. Uh, our presence in festivals have has increased because. Suddenly, there's teaching in co-production, teaching in script writing, teaching in uh, learning the craft before you get into it. When you have so many uh, institutes and uh, bodies that encourage you to get into it, mm. then you have more uh, uh, film graduates, film students going out into the industry mm. instead of just one uh, institute. So that has been happening. But in animation, it is still the outsource industry that we have in India. Right. We are doing the back end work for the US. excellent back end work but self uh, like ideas from uh, indian in, uh, original indian animation content there is still none we are a very young industry we do not have state support at all mm. because the film industry is so lucrative being part of the animation you are actually uh, competing with the the disney pixar films which are coming in and grossing a lot of money mm. uh, in the theaters So you don't have state support. You have to prove that you're going to make that kind of money with your film. And then someone like me who wants to do it, I mean, I, I I'm masochistic. <laughs> I don't have Bollywood star voices. I don't have. Uh, it is not made for children. It has too much politics, and it's painted frame by frame, so it's expensive. So it's like, why are you doing it? <laughs> I'm like, no, let me try. Which is why I circumvented it and went into the international mm. co-production mm. thing. and then when my film goes into these festivals what helps is for us to then say okay now we have gone outside we have done this now you believe we can do good work now let's start pumping money into the into teaching animation as cinema mm-hmm. not as a tool for outsource mm. work expression in animation let's discuss 
I watched an interview where you were saying that through your work, dreams and ideas can just, you know, come to life. That for me is a, is a reason why I do animation uh, and I stick to doing animation. Like uh, one of the first tenets of animation of animation filmmaking is they say if it can't be done in live action which uh, is why you do it in animation and I, I also wanted to defy that because like if you see Bob Meadows it's almost like a documentary it can easily be done in live action why do I choose to do it in animation is at one point it goes from reality into dreams or fantasies without you realizing what is happening through a painted way mm. and I love to use that uh, as a metaphor for going into your inner psyche, your imagination, your escape, whatever it might be, and come back to the extent that when it comes back, people forget it's animation. They almost look at it as real people, uh, which is not what happens in normal animation films at all. The story itself is at a fantastic level. Itself is unbelievable. Itself is unreal. Mm. And mine are not uh, unreal at all. They stay very real, very grounded. And then I have my flights of fantasies. I want to talk next about inspiration. To bring it full circle to Locarno, I'm wondering if, you, because it is absolutely beautiful here, isn't it? Has that potentially inspired you for work in the future in terms of um, maybe settings or ideas, you know, from meeting people from all over the world, different creatives? Has it inspired you in any way that you think you might apply down the line into your art? I can't afford to do that in the sense, <laughs> you know, because I've, I've understood co-production and things like that so well now. Initially, when I was younger, I would like I was in France doing work and I said, OK, if I'm here, I would love to make a film. It never happens because of, you know, how if you're from India, how much you need to do here, there and stuff, things like that. And um, at this age, I'm so uh, close to the politics and the social situation of where I come from that my stories are always based out of where I come from. If they ask me to uh, animate a uh, leopard coming from India to Locarno. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I'm invested in that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Gitanjali Rao, thank you so much for such an interesting and inspiring conversation. I truly, truly hope that you can keep getting the funds for your work and telling these beautiful stories through animation. We've got one thing left to do. And that's roll your closing credits. What movie have you watched most in your life and why? Talk to Her uh, by Pedro Almodovar. And nobody knows, needs to know why, because it makes me cry all the time. <laughs> there are two films, actually. Talk to Her and In the Mood for Love. Okay. If you could have the Piazza Grande to yourself with your friends and your cats, what movie would you like to watch there most on the giant screen? In the mood for love. <laughs> if you could create a new category of award at the Locarno Film Festival, what would it be and who would you give it to? The most visually impressive and imaginative film of the festival. Mm, I like that, of the festival. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it cannot be in a single section. I, I think it is, it's broader. But I think also because we are getting so much into VFX and uh, more different media, yeah. 
it 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 can be a very solid space of you know people making films which are very 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 visual and not necessarily verbal and those kind of things anymore mm. and since i come from animation i see so much visual content in animation but when uh, it, it and it's an award in animation but it's not in in, in live action cinema mm. Mm. that's a Maybe good one it could be yeah i like that is today's art shaping society as it should I don't know if people are going and looking at art anymore in galleries in places like India and back where I come from in Europe I think they do because it's all become so much what comes to you on your uh, devices machines, devices but if you look at, at that there is a lot of art happening there so it is shaping not in the way we expected it to well, like a generation mm -hmm. back but it is going to take shape and definitely art will always affect people what are your hopes for the future of film festivals? I hope they can keep uh, getting the funds to stay alive because more and more as we are getting into the virtual world, these are the breathing spaces. What's the biggest challenge today for cinema and culture? Theatres are not lucrative anymore because of streaming platforms, but festivals hopefully you know like the religious you know you, you keep the churches of filmmaking alive which is festivals at least even if you don't even if nobody's coming to those churches you just keep them um, keep the religion alive keep the religion alive what can art and cinema do to improve people's lives just the fact that they exist and they, you keep making them I don't know, especially after after the pandemic a lot of us as artists who felt you know what you are doing is making a difference to people at some point felt so desperate that it does not and yet at another point even when you have nothing a piece of music a beautiful painting people also realize these arts are what give your mind and soul a, a peaceful time mm -hmm. so the pandemic did two things one is undermine artists themselves as what they're doing but you realize people need it and even if they're not going, they are getting it in their uh, social media and there is a following. As long as there is a following and a, and a wish to consume these, this form of art, no matter how, it means you, you keep doing your job, you keep being an artist. Mm. As the Locarno Film Festival is all about freedom, do you feel free? Absolutely. Especially when you're being picked up right outside the... Uh, the auditorium in a fancy car and dropped into your hotel without being lost anywhere. That is the new kind of freedom I like. Do you know, there's a term for that apparently that I was taught. It's called being Beyonce'd off the stage. Oh, okay, yes. That's the kind of freedom uh, independent free artists like us need lack of it, luxury. No, I'm just joking, but... I mean, can't get more free than this. This is this is great. The films are so diverse, and there's an appreciation for all kinds of cinema. Mm. Just shows the democracy of the festival, and the spirit of the festival is like really very open. I love it. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It's That's been great. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast. Presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Perspectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms.
This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.